grateful today that your love came down and, and changed everything in our lives, and that because that love has come to us, it is possible for us today to have a relationship with you. Father, as we look into your word today, we simply want to invite your Holy Spirit at this moment to speak to our hearts through your written word. Father, I invite the Holy Spirit to, to challenge me where I need to be challenged in regards to prayer, to, to convict me where conviction is needed in the areas of prayer that I, in which I could improve, and to, to change me into the image of Jesus from interacting with your word today. And I, I pray not just for myself, but for each one of us who are sitting in this room, for each one who is joining us online, that today you would take us to a place in prayer that we've never been before. And we invite you to do that for your honor and for your glory. And in your name we pray, amen. And amen. I want you to take your Bible, open it up, or turn it on if you have a, a smart device. And, and we want to look at a couple of different chapters. You just kind of mark these in your Bible. They're close together. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11 for a, a few moments. And then we're also going to be looking at Luke chapter 18. I want to talk to you today about a, a sermon I've titled, Ask, Seek, and Knock. Ask, seek, and knock, and that will come right from the text that we read as, as we start to kind of work through this series that I have called Identify or Identity, where we're looking at, at the DNA of First Baptist Church. We're looking at, at some, some values, some disciplines that, that we believe God has called us to do. These are the core values that define excuse me, the mission of our church. And, and these are values that should not only define our church, they are values that should define our lives. They are the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. These are, are not just things that we as a staff sat around and, and decided to make up one day. These are things that Scripture clearly calls followers of Jesus and the church that belongs to Jesus to do. And, and today we're going to look at prayer, and I'll be honest with you, I, uh, this is the, the, the second version of the message today. I, I was planning on focusing, and in fact, I, I had written out the whole outline for uh, today's sermon to focus on the first four verses of Luke chapter 11, and, and after I finished that, I just, uh, man, I just kept wrestling with it, and, and the Holy Spirit won't let me go with it, and I just, uh, I decided to, to just put that one on the shelf, and that didn't have I mean, only play solitaire during the week, only work Sundays and Wednesdays, you know. So I thought I got the extra time this weekend and, and just uh, moved by, I believe, a leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit, uh, just decided to put that one on the shelf and instead uh, just do something completely different in the, the, look at a completely different text that's still in the, the same chapter, but something I just felt compelled today, and, and I don't believe that you're here by accident, I don't believe you're watching us online by accident, I believe that maybe today Day, God would have something that He wants to speak to your heart, to my heart today about this, this aspect of prayer. People who, who follow Jesus and churches that belong to Jesus and honor Jesus, those people and those churches view prayer as important. Tragically today, many who follow Jesus, and there are some churches that try to honor Jesus, but they don't give the attention to prayer that it deserves. They don't have healthy 
need prayer lives. In fact, I, I came across some research as I was looking about the prayer habits of, uh, of uh, Christians, specifically of American Christians, because I think that our Western view of prayer is somewhat skewed from how Scripture really tells us that it should be, and I'll share more about that in just a moment. But I, I came across something, and I wanted to find the most recent, the most recent research I could, and, and there was a group that did some research back in uh, last year, a couple of years ago, in, in 2020, or a couple of decades ago, it feels like, right? Back in 2020, and they found that the average, as far as when it comes to, to America, that uh, 65% of American Christians pray every day. Now, you may be tempted to say 65% is good. That's more than half. But if my math is right, what that means is that 35% of followers of Jesus don't make prayer a daily part of their lives. And what is really uh, tragic about that is that Jesus told us that apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing. And the primary way that we connect with Jesus is through prayer. And so what that tells us, and normally when you, uh, not to be a statistical nerd this morning, just a plain nerd, but uh, statistic nerds will tell you uh, that when people answer questions about their prayer life, they always overcompensate the good. No one's going to hardly admit on a piece of paper, no, I don't pray. Uh, we want to make people think we do. But even at uh, the, the, the least, that what that means is that 35% of those that claim to follow Jesus are not tapped into the thing which connects us to Jesus and brings His power into our lives. And that to me is a burden. I'm burdened with that this morning for myself and for you. Because in this text that we're about to, to look at, this text is from the book of Luke. The gospel of Luke, in that gospel alone, we see that Jesus' entire life was saturated with prayer. I just kind of glanced through Luke's gospel this week and, and just noted, and this is not an exhaustive list, but just from Luke's gospel alone, we see that Jesus prayed at his baptism. He prayed during his temptation in the wilderness. We see that he had a habit of getting alone to pray. The night before he chose his disciples, he spent that night in prayer. Shortly after calling those disciples, he took them up to a mountaintop, and there with them he prayed. He promised Simon Peter that he would pray for him when he went through his hour of trial and temptation. He commanded his disciples to pray so that they would not enter into temptation. And in fact, the very last moment that Luke records for us, Jesus on the cross, he spent his last breath on this earth in prayer. So here's my question at the outset. If Jesus, the Son of God, was driven to continually pray, why should we think that we can follow Jesus without giving the same attention to prayer? Do we think ourselves more capable than Jesus? So if he felt this was so important, should we not feel that as well? See, Luke wrote another book, and the other book he wrote is called the book of Acts, 
which talks about the early church. And if you read that book, you can literally find the church embracing some aspect of prayer in every single chapter. Prayer was fundamental to what they did. The temptation that we face and my fear is that we have taken what is fundamental to Jesus and the, only, and the early church and we have made it supplemental in our lives. I'm going to repeat that. I, my fear for myself and for you and for the church is that we've taken what Jesus meant to be fundamental and we have made it supplemental in our lives. We tend to view prayer as something we do on the way to ministry. The disciples, Jesus, and the church in Acts viewed prayer as the ministry itself. So why do we find it so difficult to maintain a, a vibrant consistent life of prayer. Let's just be honest this morning. Let's be honest and say that there are times that prayer confuses us. And there are times that we're tempted to wonder if our prayers are doing any good. Have you ever had this happen to you? Have you ever prayed for something to happen and it happened? but then you prayed about something to happen and it didn't happen? Or maybe the thing you meant to pray about but you forgot to pray about ends up happening anyway. And then prayer confuses us. If you've ever felt confused by prayer, I think you'll be encouraged today from Luke chapter 11. The chapter opens by the disciples saying, teach us to pray. And after Jesus gave them some initial instructions, he told them a parable, which brings us to Luke chapter 11 and verse 5. And he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, which of you who has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So there, there, understand that there, there were no 24-hour stores to visit in first century Palestine, and, and hospitality was a big deal. So this man doesn't want to send his late-night guest uh, away hungry. And in this context, he can't to him in the middle of the night. It says at midnight, which was really the middle of the night. They went to bed at sundown. So by midnight, this guy has been asleep for a few hours. And you know what that's like to get your good nap, and, and you're about 20 minutes into the sermon napping, and the preacher says something to wake you up. It's aggravating, isn't it? 
And you can imagine the aggravation this man has as he's been asleep for a few hours and then somebody wakes him up. And, and also, if you notice the text says uh, that he has to wake his whole family up because they lived in, in one-room houses and everyone slept in the same quarter. And so for him to, to get up and go to the door would require him to have to wake his kids up. And if you've ever tried to get kids to go to sleep, once you get them to sleep, you are as silent as you can be to keep them asleep. And he's going to have to be inconvenienced by them. And it's not like this friend is really in a need of emergency. It's not like he, he's broken his arm. It's that a friend has showed up at his house and he doesn't have enough Sister Schubert rolls to fill him up. And so he goes and asks his neighbor for a few rolls for some bread to help him meet that need. And it tells us in verse 8, I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, because friendship has its lines, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. This late night guest gets his request not because the homeowner is a good friend, but because of the boldness and the persistence used in making his request. The whole analogy of knocking reinforces this idea of persistency. He's asking. He's knocking. It involves more than walking up to the door and giving a quick knock and then waiting. It's constant. It's like that person that shows up at your house and, and they knock on. I know y'all wouldn't have a person like this in your life. They knock on your door and you think, I ain't going to that door. I ain't got time for this. All right. Hey, a bunch of liars is what we have. And they keep knocking, and they keep knocking. And then you see who it is, and you realize, okay, they're not going away. And they know, I know they know that they're not going away, and they're not going to leave. So I finally have to get up and answer the door. And that's the, that's the imagery behind what's taking place. But flip over just a couple of chapters to, to Luke chapter 18. And look at this <coughs> second parable that Jesus speaks that is very similar to the first. Where in Luke chapter 18 it says that he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So this parable is being spoken so that they will always pray and not lose heart in their prayers. And Jesus said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary." For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. Now, in, in this parable, it's basically the same premise, and, and Jesus unbelievably says, 
This is like praying to God. Is Jesus saying that God is like a grumpy old judge who doesn't really care and who gives us what we want because we won't stop annoying him? Or is there another way to read this? And I think there is. Jesus, and this is important, Jesus isn't comparing God to these people. He's not comparing God to the friend at his house and to the judge in this parable. He's not comparing God to them. Rather, he's contrasting God to them. And what Jesus is saying is that if an unrighteous, selfish judge would would grant answers because of persistent asking, and if a, a sleeping friend will eventually get up and grant his friend's request, how much more will our Heavenly Father, who does love us and who does care for us and who does watch over us, how much more will He give us what we need when we persistently come to him and ask him. Now I want to take what Jesus said here in these two places. And I want to share with you four ways that Jesus wants you to pray. Four invitations that he's giving to you today to embrace this value of prayer and to make it a part of your life from this day forward. First is this. Jesus invites us to pray with a sense of desperation. A sense of desperation. In both of these parables, both the the late night guest and the widow were desperate. Both had run out of options. The man who needs bread has nowhere else to get bread. The widow has nowhere else to turn for justice. And they cry out in desperation. Sometimes what keeps us from, from praying is failing to recognize how utterly desperate we are for God's help. For you see, we're Americans. The word can is even in our name. We are a can-do people. We think that with enough time, with enough energy, with enough YouTube clips, we can figure out anything to solve any problem. And look, DIY, do-it-yourself talent is good for your home. It's good for making repairs to your car. But it is a detriment when you're dealing with a God who says, apart from me, by yourself, you can do absolutely absolutely nothing. You see, we tend to pray from a place of self-dependence, not desperation for God. What most of us try to do is we try to solve the problem ourselves. And once we realize we can't solve the problem, then we decide to cry out to God and we then we decide to get to a point of desperation. Maybe a good habit for us to embrace in prayer would be to learn how to pray about everything throughout the entire day because of how desperately we need God's help. Yes, we can do a lot of things, but apart from Jesus, we can't do anything. He invites us to pray from a point 
or a sense of desperation. Second, Jesus invites us to pray with a spirit of boldness. He invites us to pray with a spirit of of boldness. Both the individuals in these parables present a large, big, bold request. And I think the point of Jesus mentioning their bold request is to say to us, if if this is how he approached a, a sleeping friend, and if this is how she approached an unrighteous judge, how much more boldly should you approach your heavenly Father? Look, we know that we are invited to pray with boldness by the point that Jesus was making. He's not comparing God to a sleepy friend or an unjust God. He's contrasting God to those kinds of people. You see, this widow approached the judge as a stranger. We approach God not as a stranger, but as his beloved children. This widow had no right to claim anything in court, but according to the book of Hebrews, as the children of God, we have the blood of Jesus, which calls us to boldly come before his throne of grace. The judge that we approach isn't one who doesn't care about us or care about justice. He's a father who cared so much for us that he climbed off of the judge's chair and satisfied the demands of justice so he could share with us the riches of his kingdom. The friend that we approach is not not asleep. He is so attentive to us that he knows how many hairs are on our heads. He didn't just give us loaves of bread from his pantry, but he gave us the very bread of life, his own torn flesh. And when you begin to understand God as Father in that way, you pray boldly. Notice what Jesus said Back in Luke chapter 11, in verses 11 through 13, he said, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? We know from this that kids back then had some odd requests, didn't they? If you then, who are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? Do you notice that word evil? If you then who are evil, that seems like a, that's a fairly strong word. That's a fairly odd word. Because if you think about it, most of us are at our most loving when we're dealing with our children. Yet, compared to God's love for His children, even the best parent on the best day would have to be classified as evil. The tender, deep love that you have for your child appears evil when it's compared to God's love for you. Do you grasp that this morning? What would your prayers look like if you really believed that God had that kind of love for you? I tell you, they would be bold prayers. And Jesus invites us to pray with a spirit of boldness.
his third invitation. Jesus invites us to pray with a heart that's persistent. In both parables, the reason the sleeping friend and the unjust judge answer those requests was because of the persistence of the one asking. He kept knocking until someone came to the door. She kept persisting, that judge, to the point of his weariness. I think what Jesus is teaching us is that there are times in which God answers our prayers because of our persistence. Oh, listen to me this morning. Scripture bears this out. In Acts chapter 11, the the church learned that beloved Peter had been arrested, and they prayed all night for the release of Peter. They didn't mention it once and then stop. They persisted until he was released. At one point, the apostle Paul had to be told from heaven to stop making the same request because he was constantly placing his thorn in the flesh, and and God finally had to send a messenger and say, Paul, you got to give this one up because I'm going to accomplish something greater through you. This man had to be told from heaven to stop praying. That's how persistent he was in his prayers. This pattern teaches us a lesson. If God is not answering you keep praying this morning keep persisting in prayer now I know that there are exceptions to this truth I've experienced those exceptions myself you have as well we spent last the last two years as a church we have experienced exceptions to this principle I understand that look there have been times that we have prayed and prayed and prayed for something to happen and it never happened I get that Jesus gets that in fact in in John chapter 11 Mary and Martha prayed for Lazarus not to die. And Jesus told them that God allowed Lazarus to die because God had a greater plan. Jesus was aware of the exceptions. What he's saying here in Luke chapter 11 to the disciples and to us, you've asked me to teach you how to pray. So Jesus says, I'm telling you how to pray. Don't let go until you absolutely have to. If you are praying, today about something and you have yet to receive an answer, do not give up. I have seen men and women persist and pray about things that seemed impossible. And at the last minute, at the last hour, at the very end, years later, something happened. Don't stop praying. Years ago, years ago, I was asked to come preach at a church in the sticks of South Mississippi, Central Mississippi. I mean, you, that's back way at GPS, I had to print four copies of MapQuest to get me there. It was that far out. And I went that night to that revival. I was a little bit younger. They had what they called youth revivals back then where they got some Young preacher who they thought would preach for 20 minutes, <laughs> come in. But I just began to, I, I preached. And this has only happened 
maybe twice or three times since I've been preaching since 1993. And I preached that service, and there were some young girls, teenagers at that service who had, who had brought their friend, country boy, as redneck as he could be, and his, their friend was lost. And we finished that service, and we gave the invitation, and that group of girls came down in that altar, and they started praying. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and something happened. I've only seen it, it's only happened that I've been a part of it two, three times. In fact, it knocked me away so much that all I could do was come down on the steps and just sit and just watch everything unfold. Because they kept praying. They kept praying. They kept praying. A different shade of color. Because of the tears that they were placing on that altar. These weren't girls that went to seminary. They sat down again. <laughs> I did that a lot easier when I was 16. We have workers' comp. I kept praying until finally that boy whose knuckles were as white as my handkerchief let go and walked down and told the pastor, I don't know how or why, but I need to get saved. I do not remember the message I preached. But I remember the Spirit of God filled that place, not because I was standing behind a pulpit, because there were a group of girls long before that night who kept praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And in that moment, their prayer broke through. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Persist. Do not give up in your prayers. Don't give up. Because Jesus invites you to pray with a heart that's persistent. And his fourth invitation is for you to pray with a heart of faith. After Jesus prayed that prayer, after he offered that parable in Luke chapter 11, he acknowledged that there are times that, that we don't receive the answers that we think we should have received. And when that happens, it's, it's not because God doesn't love us it's not because that God's not listening. It's because God has a bigger plan, and we have to trust in His plan. You, you saw those verses earlier from Luke chapter 11 where, 
where Jesus said, What father among you, if his son asked for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who were evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? Let me ask the question from a different angle. If your child, your small child, were to ask for a snake, would you give them a snake? No. Sometimes what looks like a fish is actually a snake, and sometimes what looks like a snake is actually a fish. Exhibit A is the cross. If there was ever anything that looked like a snake, it was the cross. But it was the cross that provided our salvation. Listen, listen really closely. Sometimes God answers our prayers by giving us what we would have asked for if we knew what He knows. I'll repeat it because I want it to, to sink in. Sometimes God answers our prayers by giving us what we would have asked Him to give if we knew what He knows. This doesn't answer all the questions. I get that. But what I do know is that you have a heavenly Father in whom you can always trust. Psalm 84, 11 says, No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. He proved that for you in His death on the cross. The cross shows you that whatever is happening in your life, it is not because his love for you has waned. It's not because that God has forgotten you. The cross is God's eternal pledge that He is always at work for your good. The word, the, the key word that we say in our prayer, that the, the word that Jesus taught us to open every prayer with is that word, Father. Children ask us parents for lots of things. Some of those we give, while others we don't. Regardless, you're always working for their good. And if you can do that as a mom or a dad whose life is riddled with sin, how much more so does God do that for his children? You can pray this morning from a heart of faith that trust God because He's worthy. As the object of our faith, He's worthy of our faith. Let me tell you something I know this morning. I know that there's not a single person in this room who has a Ph.D. in prayer. There's not a single person in this room who is an expert. So I ask you today, which of these areas are you struggling with today? Have you forgotten how desperately you need God for everything throughout every day? Are there things that you're trying to DIY and you realize today that you need to stop trying to fix it yourself and desperately cry out to God to intervene? Are you bold 
and confident in God's love for you? Are you allowing his love for you to give you boldness and confidence as you approach his throne of grace? My children can ask me anything. They could wake me up in the middle of the night and I would not be aggravated if they had a need that they wanted to ask. And if me, being an evil father, want to give that gift to my children, how much more so does God invite you into his presence with boldness and confidence today? I wonder if you're sitting in this room this morning and you've stopped praying about something. You prayed about it for however long, but for whatever reason, you just stopped. Would you start praying about that again today and persist? Don't stop praying. Are you trusting your Heavenly Father? We're not perfect. So if your trust is not what it should be, would you just confess that, repent of that today and ask for his help and ask him to give you faith? What do you have in your life that you need to take right now with a sense of desperation, with a spirit of boldness? and in faith begin or continue to persistently go before the throne of God. We'll give you the opportunity to do that today. In just a second, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand, we're going to sing a hymn, a song of commitment. You are welcome to pray right where you are. You're welcome to make this altar your home for a season. You're welcome if it's something that you and someone else that you've been praying about, you're welcome to go join hands with them and pray. If you need to just get quiet, you're welcome to walk out any of these doors and go find a quiet place in on this church campus to pray. I'll not be offended if I'm the only one standing here at the end of this, if you're all somewhere praying. This is God's invitation to you. Many years ago, I had a cousin like a brother who was tragically killed in an accident. Just a couple of years older than I. And on that Sunday morning after his accident, someone had to tell my grandmother, my sweet, godly, as close to Jesus as I've ever seen on this side of eternity, grandmother. Being her favorite grandson, I shared with her that news. And she began to sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. His shoulders are big enough for you today in your prayers. His heart loves you enough to receive them. 
but you just come to your Father and pray. Lord, thank you that you have given us a way in which we can connect with you. And today, Lord, we pray that whatever it is that's standing heavy upon our heart, that today we would give that to you. Some in this room may have not yet given that to you in prayer. In this moment, would your spirit prompt their heart to cast their care upon you? Father, there are those that are here in this room and they've been, they've, they've been persisting and maybe they're discouraged in that persistence. Today, may your Holy Spirit encourage them. May those who are about to give up praying about something, or maybe they have, would you rekindle the desire in their heart to persistently bring that request to you. And Father, as you hear our prayers, we realize that you may answer in many different ways than what we expect. So as we pray, would you help us pray from a heart of faith that trust, even if we don't see you answer this day, this week, this month, this year, even in this life, may we trust always that you hear and that you are working in ways that we cannot see. Have your will and way with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand. You pray where you need to pray. Use this altar. Use your pew. Reach out to your Father today. Thank you.